I was so intrigued to study the mysterious things of the Bible. I just to dig deep and and enough to maybe begin to understand some of these complex images and symbolism. I thought Revelation was absolutely fascinating. That old church basement Sunday school class taught by my teacher, preacher, mom, <laughs> marked me. See, what we do, how we live, decisions we make, choices, impacts people. And, and my passion for the truths of Scripture, the complex truths of Scripture, was launched forward because my mom, back in 1996, made a simple choice, which was probably a little obvious at the time for her because her and my dad were the pastors, but still... She made the choice to teach this class early on a Sunday morning for those who showed up. This morning we are launching a series on the book of Revelation with the intention of getting back to the future. So it's going to take some time to cover this book. Okay, it's going to take some weeks, and we are not going to cover every little detail of it. That's like, I mean, I would love to do that, but it would take a lot longer than probably the eight weeks that we're going to take. It would, we would be going months and months and months, and Craig was like, we're not, we're not doing that. And I was like, ah, oh, all right, so <laughs> another time. I'll meet you in a side room, just kidding. Um, but we are going to start at the beginning, and we're going to go to the end. So we are going to cover the book. Revelation is significant, and it is going to impact us today in our day-to-day -day life. No book of the Bible is outdated. No book within God's Word isn't not useful for us today. It is always useful. So this book might seem complicated to you, but, but our prayer is that by the end of this next few weeks, you're going to have a greater understanding. You're going to have a love for scripture. You're going to have a hunger to live out God's purposes for your lives more than ever before. So why revelation? Like what would be the point? Okay. I believe this book is going to launch us as a church and as individuals into more. I believe that we will begin to live our lives differently at the end of this series and, and, and through the middle. Because we live our lives as if this is all there is. And I know we make good choices like, like, and we do things that are lasting and meaningful. I know you do that. I do that. But I'm not quite sure we are living our, our true kingdom capacity. Living at our kingdom capacity is only fulfilled when we live the day-to-day -day with an eternal perspective. And that's what Revelation is going to give us, an eternal perspective, not an awareness of an eternal perspective. I think we all have an awareness, not an understanding of an eternal I think we have an understanding, but live action, eternal perspective. It's going to change us. It's going to rearrange us. It's going to cause us, I believe, to question our time management, our resource spending. I believe it's going to cause us to question maybe our career paths or long-term goals. I think it's going to challenge our parenting and help in our relationships. I think it's going to be good. I'm hopeful. And I really believe God is on this. I don't just think this is a good idea. Honestly, we could get up and we could preach any book of the Bible, and that is always going to be good. But there, that 
What I believe this is and what we always strive for is not just to get the good word because all the words of the Bible are good, but to get the God word for the season. And that's called a rhema word. And that's God's word spoken in season in our lives for what we need and what God wants to launch us in. And I believe that is what this is. So in order to launch the body of Christ into living with an eternal perspective, we have to get back to the future. We have to, This is what Revelation is all about. We have to have a, a resolve to return back to for what is to come. And this is for everyone. Whether you live for Jesus or not, the future is coming fast and furious. So we need to have an eternal approach to life. Going back to Revelation, Revelation in order to live futuristic, I believe is going to light little fires all over this room. We want to impact people. I know that. We want to reach nations. Yes, we do. We want to remain strong and hopeful in the midst of despair and conflict. We want to motivate faithfulness in the generations to come. This is all the things we want. I believe this is going to help. I know there's layers to your life and there's layers to mine. And I think that we're going to uncover a lot of them. And this should be exciting. And maybe it's a little bit scary, but hopefully more exciting than scary. Revelation will not make us so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. I believe it will make us so heavenly minded we can't help but be earthly good. See, people are watching. <laughs> That's a little weird. But people are watching, whether we're comfortable with that or not. And it's a daunting responsibility to, to understand that our direct impact on people, for good or bad, will, will mark them. And how intentional we are with our lives makes a difference. Because it's not enough just to not do bad things. So we're going to go back in order to go forward today. And the book of Revelation has a lot of current meaning uh, for us today. However, it is rooted and must be anchored in the historical context of the letters to the seven churches of Asia. And so that's where we're going to start today as we go through chapters 1, 2, and 3 and its direct meaning to them. Revelation is an apocalyptic book. This means it has a lot of symbolic perspective on history in light of its final outcome. Jesus is the central figure of the book. From the first to the last, he, the person of Jesus, is dominant in all his forms. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Revelation starting at verse 1. Says this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, his unveiling of the divine mysteries. God gave it to him to disclose and make known to his bondservants certain things which must shortly and speedily come to pass in their entirety. And he sent and communicated it through his angel to his bondservant John, who has testified to and vouched for all he saw in his visions, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the man who reads aloud in the assemblies the word of this prophecy, the book of Revelation, and blessed are those who hear it read and keep themselves true to the things which are written in it, heeding them and laying them to heart, for the time for them to be fulfilled is near. 
Apocalypse is a Greek word, and this was a type of literature that was very uh, common and popular to John and his readers. So they would have an understanding of what this is and why he wrote it this way. It's symbolic visions from prophets that reveal a heavenly perspective on current events and historical events in light of what is about to come, as I mentioned. It's a prophecy, a word from a prophet to God's people to warn or comfort. And it's past, it's present, and it's future all rolled into one. So this book of Revelation is going to bring the, pro the prophecies from the Old Testament to its climax here to the current people of the day that are about to hear it in order to make them better off in the end. Revelation actually starts and finishes as a circular letter to the seven churches of Asia. And you'll see that as we go through. Seven is a big deal. Seven was a big deal to John and, and his people because it represented the seventh day Sabbath cycle. It's also a, a big deal because it is a number of biblical completion, which is interesting that it's so prominent in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Sevens are everywhere in this book. We are going to go through all the sevens. We're going to talk about them all in the next few weeks. This book of Revelation, it, it is not... It is not an escape room. If you, have anyone done an escape room? I've done a couple of them. They're quite fun. Um, it is not an escape room to be deciphered. Revelation is not a secret predictive code about the end of the world and timeline of events. It is a book that John has written using symbols and, and words from the Old Testament prophecies to share with his current readers of the churches of Asia and then to us today who are then expected to, to look up these symbols and these prophecies and find out what he's talking about. It is not a secret to be kept from us. It is a mystery to be discovered by us. Revelation is a letter. It is a letter to real people for their current situation and for us today. It is just as current to us today as it was more than 2,000 years ago. Revelation is all about the Lion of Judah. It is all about the slain Lamb of God. It is about the conqueror. It is about the forever reigning King. Jesus. It is about the paradise that we will one day enter in and it is a kingdom that will never end. It is a place where we will rule and reign and Revelation is all about the one who will, we will rule and reign with. So let's begin. So we're going to start, as I said today, with a message to the seven churches. So Revelation chapter 1 verse 10, John says this, he says, I was in the spirit, wrapped in his power on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a great voice, like the calling of a war trumpet. Do you know what in the spirit means? Have you ever been in the spirit? There was, uh, I think it was last summer we did a, a worship night. And, and Craig at some point late was on the floor. And he was out, like like he was stuck to the floor. He was in the spirit. He was having a, a spiritual encounter in his natural body that he, was, he couldn't get up. He was just there for a long time. 
Sometimes there's moments where God will bring us into encounters with him or Jesus will lead us, Holy Spirit will lead us into encounters where we are in the spirit. And this is John right now. He is having a supernatural encounter in the spirit. And as he's having this supernatural encounter, he turns to, 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 to look to see and he has a vision. And in this vision, he sees seven lampstands. And in the middle of the seven lampstands, he sees Jesus standing. And he has a robe to his feet. He has gold around his chest. His hair was like wool and white as snow. His eyes, it said, literally flashed like flames of fire. His feet glowed like bright bronze. And his voice it said, sounded like, like many waters or, or, or like the waves of the ocean. He's standing in the middle of these lampstands. The lampstands represent the seven churches of Asia. And in his hands, he's holding seven stars. And the seven stars represent the messengers, the angels of the churches, because each church has its own angel. I went to a conference a few years back in Whippany, New Jersey. <laughs> Who knew there was such a place? In this conference, I sat under some incredible ministry. There was uh, Bill Johnson from Bethel, Heidi Baker from Mozambique, originally from California, Bishop Gallington. There was a man named David Hogan. David Hogan is a missionary to Mexico. And for, for decades, maybe still to this day, but I didn't look, so I don't want to, don't call me on this. But for decades, every day, he saw at least one person come to know Jesus. Every day day. His stories and testimonies of, of the risk and, and the provision and the faithfulness of God are just insane. Now, he's kind of like a little rough around the edges. Like, it's very interesting when you hear him speak. And most of the thing he says is, I'm a believer. And he's kind of offensive in his preaching. You know, it talks about in the Bible how the gospel's offensive. I feel like he embodies that. <laughs> And so you really have to have like no pride zone when you're like listening to him speak. And so I was there sitting under his ministry. It's absolutely powerful, but it's so interesting to me also because he is just, um, it's just not um, perfect. It's just, he just like says <laughs> it as it is. And then after I, I was up at the, the front and uh, he came along to, to pray over me, and I looked into his eyes. I have never seen such purity. And, and there was the, the most bluest, purest eyes I have ever seen. Like I literally felt like I was looking into the heart of God. That's maybe the closest I've ever seen to what is talking about how Jesus' eyes was flaming as fire. So John's in the spirit, and he sees this vision of Jesus, and he sees the seven lampstands and the stars in his hand. And then Jesus begins to address the challenges and issues happening with the seven churches of Asia. There's some things to be taken care of. There's apathy. There's affluence. There's immorality. There's, there's some people who are doing a good job, but they're experiencing immense persecution. 
So Jesus begins in this vision to target these expressions of these churches and, and, and their needs and, and, and also lets them know, hey, you know what? There's a few things that are going to get a little bit worse. And, and so he's telling this and John is, is keeping note of all of this. There's tribulation about to come on some of these churches. Some, some of the things are going to get a little harder for you. And, and, and as they get harder, there's going to be a decision to face. They're going to be forced with this choice to be made between compromise and faithfulness. So that's what you're about to face. And the context here for these people is that the Emperor Nero was, was allowing the murder of Christians. And they had seen some who have died for their faith. And then the Emperor uh, Domitian was also about to allow the, the constant persecution of Christians. Like this was just going to be a thing. So the believers are scared. These, these believers in these seven churches, they're scared. This is real. Their faith is really kind of very serious right now. Like what would we do right now if a bunch of anti-Christians walked in this room and with, with weapons in our face and asked us to deny Jesus? What would we do in this moment? And this is what they were facing. Well, we might not, we might not have weapons in our face. But how many know that, that we're dealing with these compromises all the time? Because these churches were confronted with this very real problem. And, and, and they, they had to decide, like, are they going to stay true to God? Are they going to endure this persecution? Or are they going to join this, this ugly spirit of the age, this, this compromised culture and deny their allegiance to the Lord? And we have to deal with that too. Like I said, it might not be a weapon in your face this morning, but we, we deal with it because it's everywhere. It's all over social media. It's in our school systems. It's in our conversations with friends. It's in our conversations with Christian friends. There's tolerance. There's, there's, it, we have to deal with compromise because we're afraid of not including someone from society. So, so we compromise a little in, in our faith and in our standards in order in, in inclusiveness. But how many know that we can love everyone but stay true to the call that God has had us on and to the truth of His Word? So we've, we face this as well. So here's Jesus through John's vision. And he's calling them to faithfulness so that they can overcome and receive the reward. And at the very end of Revelation, we'll come back to that. But for now, for the next uh, few minutes, we're going to actually go through these seven churches. Really fast. So don't stress. <laughs> it's fine. It's going to be fine. And then in the end, we're going to end with um, kind of the main plot of the book and, and, and two questions that John doesn't actually say. But they're threaded in, in his messages to the churches. And these two questions are going to leave us kind of contemplating and something to take to the Lord and ask him. So chapter 2 is actually where the churches begin to be specifically addressed. Each one with their instruction and what they need to return to. Remember, we have to go back to the future. Jesus is saying it's time to go back in order to go forward. So church number one, Ephesus. Chapter two. So I encourage you to write notes or um, like on your phone or on paper or something like that because it, not everything is going to be on the screen. And I'm going to read some things, so you might just want to jot it down. Um, 
Church number one, Ephesus, Revelation 2, and um, 2, 3, 4, like that. It says, I know your industry and activities. I know your toil and trouble and your patient endurance and how you cannot tolerate wicked men. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And he says, I know that you have not fainted or become exhausted or weary, but I have this one charge against you. You have deserted me, your first love. What they're doing well is they're enduring. They're not growing weary. He's like, I see that you are doing What they are not doing so well is in their heart, their focus. And he is saying here, Jesus is saying, it's time to go back to your first love, Church of Ephesus. It's time to go back to me. And in verse 7, he goes on to say, and if you will, to him who conquers, I will grant the fruit of the tree in the paradise of our God. Church number one, back to your first love. Church number two, Smyrna. Chapter two, verse nine. I know your affliction and pressing trouble, your poverty but you are rich, and how you are abused and slandered. Fear nothing that you are about to suffer. It says, dismiss your dread. Be loyal and faithful unto death. This Smyrna church, what they're doing well, they're enduring through affliction and persecution. They are doing it. They are being persecuted and dealt with on every side, but they are going through it. What they are not doing so well, as it continues and it's not stopping, they're getting scared. And they're wondering what's coming next. And dread is sinking in. So Jesus is saying it's time to go back to trust. It's time to go back to completely trusting me again. And then in verse 10 he says, Because if you will be loyal even unto death, you will get the crown of life. Those who conquer will not see the second death. So Smyrna, it's time to go back to trust. It's time to go back to your first love, Ephesus, and it's time to go back to trust, Smyrna. Church number three, Pergamum, chapter two, verse 13. It says, I know where you live, a place where Satan sits enthroned. Yet you are clinging to and holding fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith. Even when my witness, my faithful one, was killed in your midst. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have some people there who are clinging to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to set a trap and stumbling block. You have some in a similar way clinging to the teachers of the Nicolaitans, the corruptors of the people, which I hate. Repent then, or I will come to you quickly with a fight against them with a sword in my mouth. He says, you're doing some things well. You are literally living in the place that Satan dwells, but you're holding tightly to God's name. You're not denying your faith, even though people are dying for it. But what you are not doing so well, People are starting to believe false teaching around you. And then they are beginning to open themselves up to compromise and things that aren't from God because of the false teaching. He's saying it's time to go back to purity, to holiness, to truth. And verse 17 says, And if you will, to those who overcome and conquer, 
They get to eat heaven's secret bread. It talks about the, the manna. They will get a new white stone in verse 17 with a new name engraved on the stone, which no one knows or understands except those who receive it. Have you guys watched the Polar Express? Okay. So at the end, when the conductor, when they're getting off the train and, 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 and they punch the ticket, the final little word, and you know how it's a word that's unique to everyone, and the other kids don't understand, like, why you have that word, and they're like, eh, I don't understand, or what does that say, you know, lead or led, and, you know, like, they're just confused. But the one who is for understands it. This is what he's saying you get. This is what he's saying. You will get a stone with a new name engraved on it that's a mystery to anyone else except the one owns it. I don't fully know all that means, but it sounds really awesome. Back to purity, holiness, and truth. Church number four, Thyatria. Revelation 2, 19. He says, I know your record and what you're doing. Your love and faithful service and patient endurance. That your recent works are actually more numerous and greater than your first. That's impressive. But I have this one thing against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who is teaching and leading astray my servants. But to the rest of you, in verse 24, who do not hold to her teaching, who have not explored the depths of Satan, I say to you that I will not lay upon you any other burden, but hold fast to what you have till I come. What they're doing well is they're loving, they're serving. Actually, their works are better now than they were in the beginning. They're getting stronger by the day. What they're not doing so well, they're allowing demonic activity to take place within the good that they're doing. They're allowing the compromise of Satan's work. And they're not dealing with the issues of this. And it's now pulling people away. I'm telling you what, when a demonic presence is in your midst, it's not as obvious as what you would think. If it was so obvious, not many people would be tricked by it. He's saying, Jesus is saying, it's time to get back to his standard. It's time to clean things up a bit. And then it says in 26 to 20, for those who do, who will conquer through this? Who will stay true? They will get authority, it says, and power over the nations. Wow. In fact, he says, they will rule with a rod of iron. And I will give him the morning star, Jesus. It's time to get back to his standard. Church number five, Sardis, Revelation 3, verse, starting at verse 1. It says, the words who have given the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He says, I know your record and what you are doing. You are supposed to be alive, but in reality, you are dead. 
Rouse yourself and keep awake. Strengthen and invigorate what remains. For I have not found a thing you have done meeting the requirements of my God. That's like really harsh. So call to mind the lessons you've received and heard. Lay them to heart and obey them. Yet, you still have a few persons in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy and deserving. So he's saying, what are you doing well here? Not much. (laughs) Not much. But there's a few of you that are holding the line. What you are not doing so well is you are pretty much dead. He said, I have not found a thing you have done meeting the requirements of my God. So it's time. Jesus is saying, it's time to go back to your strength in me. It's time to wake up and arouse yourself once again. Get that, remind yourself of the revelation of the truth that you know, what you already know. And verse 5, it says, those who will pull through, those who will arouse themselves, those who will awaken themselves once again to what they know and and then strengthen the Lord, they get new clothes. (laughs) It says that. White garments purified again and their names written in the book of life. Have any of you ever seen Heaven's Gates Hell's Flames? No one? Really? Well, I'm an actor from that very show, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. I'm not lying. So back in the day, there was a traveling ministry called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. And um, I don't recommend it anymore. I mean, it, it served its purpose back in the day. It was fine. And they would go from church to church to church. And it was this huge presentation of the gospel from um, real life scenarios uh, like you're in a car and you're driving and you get in a car accident, instantly you die, and next thing you know, you're in heaven, and, and there's all this. And, and so we would, churches would put them on and you would invite people from your community, and the goal would be that they would come to know Jesus, um, mostly I think through fear, <laughs> but maybe also the love of the Lord. I'm not sure. But anyway, it was a thing. It was, it was a way. So um, I went, and I was a teenager at the time. I'm like, oh, this is fine. We all went, you know, my friends, and we're like, yeah, we'll audition. We'll see what happens. So basically everyone gets the same line to audition. You just get up there, and you read your line. Everyone gets the same. So it doesn't even matter. And then what they think that you would represent well, that's what they cast you for in this show. So oddly enough, I was cast as a drug addict. So that's really weird, right? They're like, yeah, she would be a good one for that. So anyway, um, that was great. But anyway, my my point is, their names in the book of life, there's this scene where you stand before the open book, the book of life, because this is actually the real thing that's going to happen one day. And um, and like, I, it's just in my head because it was uh, as as crazy as it is to think about this show now like many years later, back then, it was like really powerful and significant and kind of like, wow, like gripping to, to have this vision of what it will be one day to be standing before the book of life and is my name written in it. Yeah. So that was that. It's time to get back to strength and revelation. Church number six, Philadelphia. 
<laughs> Billy. <laughs> Revelation 3, verse 8. I know your record of works and what you are doing. I see before you, I have set before you a door wide open that no one's able to shut. I know you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word and guarded my message and not renounced or denied my name. Because you have guarded and kept my word and had patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial coming. I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have. And he who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the sanctuary of my God. He's saying, what you're doing well, you're keeping my word. You've guarded the message of the Lord and you have not denied my name. What you are not doing so well, you're just a little tired. It's not like it's, it's not even a huge critique here. He's just saying, I see that you're tired. And how many like how many can relate to that? Well, you're just doing all the right things and it's just left you tired. And he's like, I see, you're just tired. But he's like, go back to what you already know that you have. Go back to what you know that you have in me. Because your enemies are going to get what's coming to them. They will bow in honor one day. They, they, but you, you will be protected from the, the trial that's coming. Because I have you. And as you overcome and conquer, you will be made pillars in the house of God, it says. And actually it goes on to say that you will have God's very name written on you in the city of God. So go back to what you already have. Church number seven, the last church, Laodicea, verse 15. It says, I know the records of works and what you are doing. You are neither hot or cold. I'd rather if you were one or the other. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I've grown wealth, and I am in need of nothing. But you don't understand that you're actually wretched, poor, blind, and naked. So I counsel you to purchase me gold, from me gold, refined and tested by fire, that you could be truly wealthy, and the white clothes to clothe you, to keep the shame from being seen. And if you will overcome, I will grant you to sit beside me on my throne, verse 21. As I sit beside my father on his throne. He says, well, what are you doing well? I don't know. It's kind of a tough one to decipher there. They're positive. <laughs> they're positive people. They're like, we feel good. <laughs> the problem is what they're not doing so well is they're not seeing things for what they really are. They're not hot. They're not cold. They're like average. They're in the middle. They're lukewarm. They think their accomplishments in life has achieved something that, that it really hasn't achieved. They, they think that their, their wealth and the fact that they don't have a lot of needs has made them something. But they don't see how poor they actually are. They're blind to it. And then they're exposed because of it to the tactics of the enemy. Jesus is saying it's time to go back to living for what matters. To buy gold from me. To living for what could be tested in fire and come out pure. It's costly. There is a cost to acquiring spiritual wealth. And there is a cost to living a life of purity before him. See, don't hear what I'm not saying. You can have a lot of wealth and live perfectly in the kingdom, position in the kingdom. You can. You can. How? It's when wealth doesn't have you. 
Because you can have wealth as long as it doesn't have you. You can have money as long as money doesn't have you. If you are like, I have lots of wealth and I live with an open hand and I follow the, the, the truth of scripture of what to do with my wealth and I put it in, in, in where God has asked me to do and I, I sow in and I'm and putting it in good soil and it's, it, you know, extending the reach of the kingdom of God and I'm providing for my family and I'm helping. Like, that, that's when money doesn't have you. That's like, God is going to pour out so much on your life as you live with an open hand that you will not be able to contain it. That is in scripture. That is a fact. And there is nothing wrong with lots of money. You can never outgive God. But it's a lot of fun to try. <laughs> See, these people, these people aren't doing so well with this which is why Jesus is calling them back to living for what matters. And he says in verse 21, if you will course correct, if you will do this right, if you will conquer this, if you will relight the fire of this lukewarm, average kind of life you're living, then you will be seated beside me as I sit beside my father. What an honor. Seven churches. Seven messengers, the angels, to deliver the words of Jesus through the vision of John. And this is where we're going to land today. So we need to ask ourselves, what church am I? Not what church is our church, <laughs> but me and you personally. What church am I? What church do you and I need to go back to? What do we need to go back to today? like some of these that we listed? Is it our first love? Is it back to what we know? Is it, is it back to strength, reviving ourselves in the Lord again, a revelation? Is it, is it back to His standard because we've let some things go? See, this is the starting point of revelation. The starting point is a return to what matters. It's a course correction in many ways in, in my life, maybe in your life, but it's also an encouragement for the things that you're doing well to keep going. Keep going. You're doing that thing well. You're, you're trying your best. You're asking the Lord, hey, how can, I, how can I orchestrate this part of my life? Or how can I give over here? Or how can I help this situation? Or how can I be better as an individual and a follower of Christ? Keep doing it. It's Jesus championing us, saying, you're doing a good job. See, going back in order to go forward is going to light the fires in this room. And I know that's like the, maybe the third time I've said that, because I really believe it. I really believe it's going to light fires in our lives and in this church. And that's what we want, right? To be on fire for what matters to impact people, to reach nations of the world, maybe by going or maybe just by sending, to remain strong in hope when there's conflict in front of us. And we, we are in a situation where we just have a struggle and we don't know how we're going to get through, but the endurance and the perseverance to remain strong in the face of that conflict and that pain. That's what we want. And then we want to inspire our children. Or just other people's children 
kids we have impact, teenagers, students who have friends in other places. You want to make a difference in their lives to inspire other people to emulate you as you follow the Lord. See, my life trajectory impacts those who directly look to me. The problem is, I don't know of all the people who are looking to me. So the little decisions I make is bigger than I think. So today I stand here, and my, my kids, they love Jesus. You know, at 21 and 18, we made it. They love Jesus. Along the way, I didn't know what was going to happen. I just tried my best. They're following the ways of the Lord because of hundreds of little decisions and a few big ones. But also if they weren't, I can't take on that responsibility today. That's something I have to relinquish to the Lord. Because I can only do what I can do. So there's a call to make decisions, big ones and little ones. But also there's an understanding that we just lay it all at the feet of Jesus. Because we can't make or not make things happen. We can just do our best before the Lord. But we made a few decisions along the way to say yes to Jesus at all costs. We moved countries. We've put thousands and thousands of dollars of our own money into saying yes to Jesus. Just because we believed, we trusted him. We moved in uncertainty. We moved when things were complicated with faith's heart and we didn't know what medical life would look like. We stood in face of disappointment when my dad died of cancer. But I still believe that God healed cancer. And I still pray for miracles with people with cancer. A few years ago, we visited Canada to speak at a camp many years ago. During a time, we visited a church uh, that we used to attend. And a guy that we graduated Bible college with came up to us and he said, he's like, ah, you guys are just living the dream there in California. He's like, honestly, I think most of my life I just live vicariously through you. That's what he said to us. He's followed us on Facebook, and he saw all our posts, and he's like, oh, I wish my life was as awesome as yours. We looked at him and said, you know, Facebook's our highlight reel. <laughs> There's a lot you don't see. You know, you didn't see all the struggle and the face steps, the risks, the doubts, the fears. He's like, I know. He said, I just, I want the courage to do the same, you know. So he was watching us make the little and big decisions. He said, I want to risk more. Because if you did it and God opened doors for you, you know, maybe he could for me. And God did, and he provided a bigger life for us in the face of conflict and uncertainty. And, and he was like, I, you know, it's challenging me to pursue, pursue more. See, I, I say that, and that, that story, because I was reminded of it as I was writing this message, but not, be, not to pat myself on the back, because honestly... It's actually a wake-up call that people are watching. 
I can't applaud myself for the decisions I've made over the course of my life because they're not applause decisions. They were scary decisions. They were hard decisions. It wasn't like, yeah, I made this really awesome decision. No, it was like, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. It was in fear and trembling with doubts and stress. Because maybe in the end it wouldn't even turn out how we hope. There's no applause here. And you guys know because you've done the same thing. You've done the same risk. You've made the same hard decisions. You've walked the same journeys. And that's why you're here and the accomplishments you have. But you would look back and say the same thing. There's no applause here. We're just all trying to do our best. Because people are watching and we don't even realize. So we're going to go back this morning in order to move forward. But it's not just for us. It's for those watching. Before I pray for you today, John concludes these letters to the seven churches. And then he goes on in chapter 4 and 5 with another vision of the throne room. But without saying these questions, he alludes to them. And there's two reflective questions that we can derive from his, the way he repeats at the end of his um, direct letters to each specific church. The language is there. The first question is this, that we can ask ourselves. Why are we seeing that simple faithfulness to the Lord is being described over and over as conquering? He's using the word faithfulness as conquering. There's conquering as faithfulness. That's generally not how we think about when we're faithful to the Lord. We don't think conquer. So why is that the case? And two, there's a lot facing these churches. Will they endure to the end and inherit paradise? What God has said is in store for them. And us, the same question goes, will we endure? Will we finish well? So those are two questions I want you to take home with you today and bring them to the Lord. Why, Lord? Why is faithfulness being described as conquering? What does that mean for me? And how does that change the way I live my faithfulness to you? And two, will I finish well? How can I finish well? Next week is chapters four and five. I want you to read them before you come. And it's the vision of the throne room, and it's going to be powerful. Why don't we stand today? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for every individual and every family in this room. I thank you that you are bringing to life the revelation of your son Jesus as we unpack this scripture. I pray that as we go today, it would become even more real and that you would bring us into encounter with you. As we think and read over our notes and the scriptures and the questions, I pray that you would transform our lives, that we would get more home, 
even than we did even in this last 35 minutes or so. That it would go grow exponentially in our lives as we take it and unpack it before you in our private time. So I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to settle on our family today. That they would know you better. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, family.